The writing community has just blown me away with their attitude towards helping each other. Even the most prolific of us can't keep a super reader in books. The more readers that we all create, the more great books that we all create, the better the whole industry. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hull. And I'm Lee Esses. And today we are joined by Lindsay Teske. Lindsay is the head editor of a publishing company known as Of Ink and Pearls. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Lee and Lee. So tell us a little bit about what you do. I am a boutique full-service publishing company. What that means is that I work to tailor each publishing package to individual authors and their needs and to meet their goals. So I've had authors who are 10 years old and they want to get their book in the library. And that's very different from the package that I create to someone who has five books written and they're looking to start an author brand or a businessman who has outdated books on real estate and he's looking to refresh and turn those into a asset for his business that brings in clients and increases his authority in the field. Very cool. So how did you get into editing and creating this company? I have always loved books, but I was born into a family of two engineers so I was encouraged to go into real jobs with good security. So I got a degree in biology with a minor in psychology and English literature. And I quickly found out that I was very bored at being in a biology lab every day. But genetics sounds really cool until you're pipetting for the thousandth time. <laughs> so... While I was home on my maternity leave, I started taking some editing projects based on my experience as a historical reenactor. So I've actually worn the petticoats, spoken the language, been to Gettysburg, which is a little bit less than two hours from my house, these beautiful local mansions. And so I worked on making sure that historical novels are very accurate and science fiction novels are very accurate. There's not a lot of editors who actually know the history and actually know the science. So I really enjoyed it. I loved seeing books get better and ready for publication. Then one of my favorite books totally flopped. And it was really frustrating because I had worked with that author on three different rounds of edits. And I knew it was a great book, but the cover was awful. The blurb had typos in it. Um, and these were fixable mistakes. He just had a, a job change a month before the book was due to release, and things fell through the cracks. And they were the important things. Mm-hmm. Not that the story isn't important, but the things that get people to pick up your book. And so then I said, you know what? My authors need more than a great story. So... I started learning as much as I could about the whole industry and figuring out what authors need. And so when I look at big self-publishing companies that'll sell you a pretty cover and then publish your book without editing, it gets me frustrated because there's no way that book can be successful as it has a typo on the cover. Mm -hmm. And I have had people come to me with professional 
book covers that had typos in it because they didn't pay for editing, so they didn't bother to fix the typo. And that's just... That's terrible. That's not professional, and that's not... So, yeah, different focus. It makes me very, very glad to hear that you focus on not just the content of the book, but the cover of the book. We've said multiple times that cover design, the blurb, those are the things that get people to pick up a book. They're not going to read the book and then decide to buy it. They're going to look at the cover. They're going to read the summary and say, yeah, I'm interested. And if it has mistakes, if it doesn't look good, people aren't going to buy it. It's really encouraging to have you doing all of this and helping authors succeed instead of just getting their name as a vanity press. Yeah, there is room for vanity press books when you have a memoir that you want to hand out to family or a cookbook you want to give for a Christmas gift. But even then, it needs to look professional and be something that you're proud of. The cover is the biggest investment in advertising you will ever make. It is the one thing every single prospective reader sees on your book, whether it's in a bookstore, a library, online, in their Kindle after they downloaded it for free. Like, they still have to decide to open it. If you're planning on advertising your book at all, you have to have an appealing cover. If you don't have an appealing cover, your advertising dollars won't go anywhere. You're getting very adamant nods and agreements. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely. I think one of the most common hobby author things that I see is making the cover an inside joke. Mm. Authors know their book so well, and they say, there's this amazing scene, and it's so important, and I'm going to put it on my book. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't know why the bicycle is important to your sci-fi book. Bicycles and sci-fi don't have that much to do with each other. (laughs) So when you put an inside joke on your cover, you've ignored the point of the cover. Yeah. Maria V. Snyder is a best-selling YA author who happens to live one town next to me. And she is amazing and does lots of local events. And so I got to meet her and she said, the job of your cover is to stand up and wave and say, here, here, look at me. And then once you pick up that book and read the blurb, the job of the cover is done. Your cover is getting the attention of your ideal reader. Mm-hmm. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. Doesn't matter what hair color they have. <laughs> just, yeah. just get the attention of your reader. Yes. I fully agree with that. Over the summer, we had a writing retreat, and I did a presentation on cover design. I reached out to some people and said, send me your favorite and your least favorite book covers. What you said about the inside joke on the covers, this is a mistake even professional publishing companies in the traditional publishing world make. The example that I used is First Test by Tamara Pierce. One of the three different covers that they have for the book shows this little kid, maybe a squire, undeterminate gender, with a black eye holding a cat and a bird on their shoulder. And I have no idea why this kid has a black eye. And it just doesn't make any sense. (laughs) So it doesn't draw me to the book at all. And so, yes, making your cover so specific is such a bad idea. I was at a meeting for the National Nonfiction Writers Association two weeks ago, and they focused on covers. 
And they suggested looking at bestsellers, 30-day bestsellers on Amazon in your genre. But I pointed out the one thing you need to remove when you're looking at all of those bestsellers, you should discount all of the ones that are reprints of classic books. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to buy this new Jane Austen because I know that story and I love that story. The cover isn't getting attention to the book at that point. It's such a well-known title that the cover is just pretty. Mm -hmm. Tamara Pierce is a really well-known author. Her name is selling that book. The cover is just being pretty. Or maybe it is an inside joke to people who have already purchased the hardcover or have already read book one, two, and three, and this is book four. So there are cases where the cover doesn't have to work as hard, and you need to know which one is not going to count. The most interesting covers of all time roundups are normally reprints of classic books. Clockwork Orange has a really cool cover mm-hmm. on the fifth reprint of it <laughs> because the cover isn't needed to sell that book. Yeah, but for new authors, unknown authors, the cover is absolutely necessary. But other thing that authors don't realize is that covers are advertisements and they're very multi-layered. In romance in particular, the cover has unspoken clues to the tropes in the book, the heat level in the book, the length of the book, how character-centered it is. If we have a man chest where we don't even see the guy's chin, this is going to be a hot book with a lot of plot and a lot of sex scenes. And when you have someone who knows your genre really well, they can manipulate that and get you the right reader. Whereas if you're like, well, I don't know, every other book has this, but I think I'm going to go with an orchid because that's subtly sexy. (laughs) Kilby Blades actually talked about switching her cover one week before it released because she had an erotica and she had a moral objection to Manchester and she thought she was going to be all Georgia O'Keeffe. And then she realized that that was not what the market expected and she was a brand new author and she released with a sexy, partially nude photo and she's done really well. There you go. Yeah. Cater to your audience. Yeah. Readers' needs come first when you publish. As long as your manuscript is on your desk, You can do whatever you like with it. But once you decide to publish, your reader's needs come first. So in our communication prior to this interview, you mentioned a publishing path quiz. What is that? One of the most common things I hear new authors ask is, should I be doing self-publishing? Should I be doing traditional? Do I really need to invest all this money in self-publishing? And... It frustrates me when people would just answer without asking for any more information because obviously there are people who are going to be successful in traditional paths. There are people who have the skills and desire to build up an independent author business, and there's people who are better off sharing their work with the world and waiting for it to go viral. My publishing path quiz on of inkandpearls.com takes a whole bunch of things into consideration, like the genre of your book, how you feel about being rejected by agents and publishers, and your expectations and dreams for your book. If you just want your story to be read, there's no need to spend $5,000 to get a professional package if you just want some ebook reviewers to say, good job, I like your characters. 
for some people, that's all they need to keep writing. For other people, they really believe that they have what it takes to win book awards and end up in libraries and build a million-dollar business. There absolutely are independent authors who are making over a million dollars. I met some of them at RWA this year. So these are very different paths and skills. And I think traditional publishing gets the pie-in-the-sky goal, but it isn't very clear everything you need if you want to go there. You need to have a very strong book, like a book that's been rewritten 10 times. You need to be willing to wait three to five years before you see your book on the shelf. Those are things that people aren't always aware of, and sometimes it shocks them that it might take up to 10 years or 100 rejections before they get an agent and a publisher. Some people are willing to do that, and some people aren't. If you don't want to rewrite your book 10 times, that's fine. But then traditional publishing just isn't the right path for you. That makes sense. There are a lot of downsides to traditional publishing, and it seems pretty self-serving to be an independent publisher and be pointing these out. But then we have things like the Chai Zine publishing scandal, where authors had extremely lopsided contracts where they didn't get paid for 18 months after their book was released, and then their royalties were mismanaged, their book releases were mismanaged, And it was a small press, so these were technically traditionally published authors, but that doesn't guarantee success or smooth sales. You're turning over your creative right to someone and assuming that they know the business side of writing and selling books better than you can do by yourself or by choosing trusted partners and experts. It's a gamble. Mm -hmm. And for those poor authors, it didn't pay off. So of all the books that you have edited, would you have a favorite or one that you just absolutely think is fantastic? My favorite book that I've published so far is one of the newest ones. It's called Dangerous Kisses, Gruesome Bites by Robin Goldblum. We took a while to figure out what genre her book was, and we finally settled on Wild West Zombie Romance. (laughs) It's completely new and different, and she was a total blast to work with. She actually has a free magnet story that happened at the same time as the book, so you have the same zombie attacks, but a secondary love story. It was just awesome. That sounds like just a fantastic time. (laughs) The most fun part was that, of course, there are no stock images of zombie (laughs) fighting cowboys. Just one of those things. So we had to hire local models, and we had Robin and her mom in the studio with four of her characters and, or no, five of her characters, because the zombie was the ex-husband, as all ex-husbands should be. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so Robin got to meet her characters, and we had a two-hour photo shoot, and we got romantic pictures and scared pictures and badass pictures. It was just really, really fun. And then the model, Joss Cramp, who played the male main character, actually came to New York for the Romance Writers Association meeting and handed out pre-order flyers. Nice. Yeah, Joss Cramp handed out pre-order flyers dressed up as the cowboy from the cover. So that was really neat. That is absolutely fantastic. 
I felt very clever to have thought of it. (laughs) (laughs) It was fun. I was very nervous because it was my first time in RWA and my first time with an official vendor table. What is RWA? The Romance Writers of America is shortened to RWA, and they are the largest writers group in the world. They specialize in romance. They have local chapters, and they have a national chapter. They have a national conference every year. I really enjoy belonging because the sense of community is amazing, and the the resources that are shared with all of these writers is amazing. The writing community has just blown me away with their attitude towards helping each other. Even the most prolific of us can't keep a super reader in books. So we view it that the more readers that we all create, the more great books that we all create, the better the whole industry. I've had authors hand me their marketing plan or tell me exactly what they do to get a book launch. It's just been really wonderful and overwhelming and warm. That's so great. I love the writing community because no matter what level of author you are, we're all contributing to keeping readers. No one author can produce enough for one reader to always just read that author. Doing things like promoting other authors, getting people to read not just your stuff, but your favorite stuff is always a good thing for the industry and for individual authors. So as an editor, if you could drill one thing into every author's head, what would that be? Motivations matter. The one thing authors need to pay attention to are motivations. If you know your character's motivation, the rest of the book will fall into place. If you know your motivation, you know what the conflict has to be you know your motivation, you know what some of the resolutions could be that will emotionally feel like a good ending to the reader. If you know your motivation, you can come up with some interesting ways to move the plot forward by putting more things in the way. If you don't know your character's motivation, then it can seem like a string of random events that don't have emotional punch and tension. Yes. (laughs) Yep. We're, we're, we're both doing the, the happy nodding thing again. <laughs> so my husband is actually a psychology professor. I had a minor in psychology and a year of graduate school in psychology. So I use psychology a lot when I'm editing. The Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a great place to go when you're not sure what your character's motivation is. Do they need to survive? Do they need family and community? Do they need self-esteem? who need to find love and belonging. These are basic needs that all readers will connect with. If you want a timeless story, it needs to be a timeless psychological need. That is great advice. Because what makes a story are the characters. The characters should always be the center of what you're writing. You can have a great, brilliant world, But if your characters moving in it are flat, then your story's flat. Absolutely. I think when I get a writer who has a beautiful fantasy world or sci-fi world, and I'm seeing a lot of extra sections, extra chapters, I go back 
And for every chapter, I say, how did the conflict change? How did the motivational needs change? Did it go up? Did it stay the same? Was it resolved? And you can see when I'm saying nothing changed, nothing changed. There were three chapters in a row. The conflict didn't change. These are flat chapters and you're going to lose your readers. Let's move these somewhere else. Let's pick the pace up. It also helps when you're stuck and you're like, I don't know what to do next because you can see which conflicts still can be escalated and which motivational needs can be met halfway. There's different tricks to use. That's great. So what is your favorite story trope? My favorite story trope. I really enjoy historical romance novels, particularly ones where they need to learn to trust and to love. Love healing is the theme of romance. The power of love to heal personal scars, to heal community scars. Love isn't just an extra that's thrown into the romance or something nice that happens to a nice, perfectly balanced person. The romance that work, that get reread over and over again, are when love changes and improves the characters. That is the power of love that we are searching for in an increasingly disconnected world. Sylvia Day's Crossfire series is five books on a single relationship and the complex power of learning to trust after you've been betrayed and abused. And I am on the edge of my seat the entire time because it's that emotional and that powerful. And you can do that much just with romantic tension if you're as great a writer as Sylvia Day or if you learn from her. Yeah, I always think it's a great idea to find a writer that you love, especially as a new author, and try to figure out what it is in that book that you love so much. Because if you can figure that out, that will teach your writing so much. And that you recognize that in other authors is great. Reading a lot will make you a better writer, especially if you are thinking about what you're reading. There are some great books about how to pay attention when you're reading. I love the book Story Trump Structure, which taught me stop focusing on the plot and start focusing on the characters and emotion and conflict. And once I could do that, I could figure out what I didn't like about books that weren't working. And sometimes I learn more from a book that doesn't work for me personally than I do from a book that's really wonderful and I'm dazzled and can't sleep because I'm in love with these characters now. Reading a wide range of books is, is definitely important. I have a personal idol in Jane Ann Krentz, who also writes as Amanda Crick and Jane Castle and Stephanie James and she has a lot of pennies. But for me, I love her books and I read them for pleasure. And then when I'm trying to read books to psych myself up to get back on the writing table, the minutes I have in my current busy schedule, I pick up one of her old books that she wrote before she had 30 years writing experience. And I remind myself that her little novellas were her first tries at world building, her first tries at romantic suspense. And it's really good to remember that Nora Roberts wasn't always the Nora Roberts of now. Mm -hmm. She started somewhere. So that's something that helps me with my writing. Yeah. We constantly tell people, don't compare yourself to that bestseller. You are new. 
you were where they were 30 years ago. Absolutely. As an editor, what do you wish authors knew about your process? As an editor, I don't expect a book to be perfect. But if you go to the dentist and you haven't brushed your teeth, it's harder on the dentist. So if you've done some self-editing, if you've run a spell check, if the formatting is pretty consistent, it's easier for me to pay attention to the big picture issues than when I'm rereading sentences because I didn't get what, oh, right, you had an autocorrected word that wasn't supposed to be there. That really distracts me from my job. The other thing is that editing is not something you pay someone else to do. Editing is a two-person process where I'm giving you feedback and making sure that I have my manuscript on my desk during two weeks when you are available to email me back and think about your work and say, oh, yeah, well, I'm sorry that wasn't clear, but his motivation for dealing that ruby was this. And I'm like, okay, I can work with that now. When I'm working on a novel-length project, it's very hard to flip back and forth because this is my first time with it. By the time I'm done with a novel, I've read it seven to ten times, and so then it's easier. But my first impressions are really valuable because those are similar to what a regular reader is going to feel when they don't know why your character is doing that or they're having trouble with the dialogue because it doesn't sound natural. Definitely having an open communication with your editor is so important. I am Lee's editor, and we're constantly messaging back and forth as I'm in the process of editing, trying to figure out, okay, what were you meaning by this? What are they doing here? How can we make this work? So yes, I also fully agree. Open communication with your editor. It is a two-person process. It absolutely is. I think an author's biggest fear when handing over a manuscript to an editor is, one, they're going to change the story, and two, the editor's going to hate it. How would you respond? First, it's not possible for an editor to change your story because you still have your original copy. The editor is going to be handing you back a marked copy where you can accept or reject each change. I suggest big changes like taking out a chapter, moving the order of events, getting rid of a secondary character who doesn't do anything. Those kind of suggestions are in a separate document, and the author has to do those. I would never do that behind the scenes without talking to an author, and I haven't heard of editors who do. It's important to use a good editor and have your expectations clear about what changes you're looking for and what feedback you're looking for. Number two, an editor's expertise on story is valuable, whatever their personal feelings about your story. Of course, there are personal differences, and it is a good idea to get an editor who enjoys your work. I definitely think it's worth shopping around to find an editor who works with you, just like you'd shop around to get a doctor or a therapist or a hairdresser. This is a personal decision. You're trusting them with something that's pretty important to you. So feel free to ask for a couple sample edits or other work that they've worked on to make sure it's in line with you. That is great advice. Thank you. For me, as a fantasy author, I know there are a few people that I would not go to to get my stuff edited because they don't really know fantasy. So finding the right editor for you can make or break your book. 
it's a huge issue in the historical world because I have had people who publish through small presses had their copy editors go back and change the punctuation in White's Gambling Den, which was a huge establishment in Regency England and is still around today. And it's a name. There's a specific way that it's punctuated. And she was so embarrassed that her published books had a change in punctuation because her copy editor didn't know historical. There's so many details. There are words that are not in a regular dictionary that you use in historical, especially when you're talking about the clothing or the carriages. A regular editor won't catch anachronisms. A regular editor also won't catch the anachronisms that everyone just uses anyway. (laughs) Because those are fine. We've all decided that the little season was a thing, even though there's no historical evidence of that. But we want more balls. So we're going to add an extra season. (laughs) That's fine. So, yes, finding the right editor, one who knows your genre, one who works well with you personally is important. I always make sure that I include positive and negative things because there's always positive and negative things to say about a writing. My actual notes on the page tend to be critical and things to improve because that's what I'm getting paid for and that's what I'm paying attention to at the time. But my overall notes will say, you're really great at descriptive language. I really loved this character or this plot was so interesting. Those sorts of feedback are important to add because, yeah, editing is tough. One of the things that we've had people ask us about is editing for audiobooks. Do you do that? Editing for audiobooks is really important because you want your story on the paper to perfectly match what the narrator is saying. You need to make sure that you do an extra round of very precise proofreading for audiobooks. And absolutely, my company offers audiobook editing, and audiobook creation services. Have you ever done other mediums, like scripts for plays or movies? I actually started my writing career writing skits and performing them in the backyard. I recently did edit a movie script for a client. It was a fantastic, true story. His grandmother was hiding from the mob and searching for her child that was stolen. It was just fantastic. She was an awesome, scary woman. (laughs) We're in the process of submitting that screenplay to several contests in order to get interest in funding it and making a movie. So what would you tell authors who are writing for mediums other than novels? What is different for them? There are different expectations depending on your medium, and you need different tools. Trying to format a screenplay in Word is a headache and a half. So please invest in the right tools. When you're writing for different medium, there are different expectations for how the plot moves, how fleshed out the characters are, and what the actual end product looks like. It's really important to do your research and know that medium well. I am working with an actor who's also written some of his own play adaptations, thinking about turning some of his plays into books and audiobooks, because he also narrates audiobooks. Switching from a play to a novel is kind of daunting because it's a different medium, because now he has to not just add some description out of what the screen's directions were, but add in 
thoughts and motivation and a different level of writing that as a play would have been added by the actor. Well, I think that about wraps it up. Is there any other just final advice that you have for authors or even editors? My final advice for authors is to know what your dream is and go for it. You don't have to be told that your dream should be to sell a thousand books or to be in Barnes & Noble. You can decide what would make you feel like a successful author. My advice for editors is don't be afraid to only ask for the books that you love. I recently stopped accepting new sci-fi authors because I had two bad experiences in a row with authors who were not at all interested in character development or my opinions, (laughs) and it was not fun. So I said, you know what? I love romance authors, and I love working with them, and I give really, really great feedback when it's a story I enjoy, when it's a genre I know really well. So I'm going to focus on helping the authors that I can help the most. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. Where can our listeners find you online? Thank you, Lee and Lee. My website is www.ofinkandpearls.com. I'm also very active on Instagram, Facebook, and just recently opened a Twitter. I think that about wraps it up for us. Very much appreciate you taking your time to come chat with us today. It was very fun. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. 